Hello and welcome back to the Hulkcast. I'm James Rushton, joined once again by Cole Petham and Danny Raza. Danny, you first. It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, it's just been, I think just timings just haven't worked out over the last few weeks. As you guys know, I have like very, very weird shift patterns uh, working at the BBC Sports Centre, obviously. Uh, but yeah, here I am, lads. Uh, pleasure to be speaking to you guys again. Uh, during this miserable period, I've just been stuck with Cole. Um, oh. we've, we haven't won since you were last gone, I don't think. No, I don't think we have. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'm a good luck charm. Maybe maybe we need me back for you know for for the sake of for the sake of getting results. But it has been awful, and I have to I have to say I'm a little bit smug that I haven't had to speak about performances for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and Cole, that feels like I'm making you out to be some kind of bad luck totem. And that's not the case. I think you've just had to join me on this uh, journey of misery whilst Danny's been kind of flaky with us. Well, if I'm going to throw Danny under the proverbial bus here, he did actually, well, he had to work anyway, so he got (laughs) out of it. But he did think we played on a Saturday one time when we actually played on a Sunday. So it It was twice. (laughs) (laughs) He did that twice. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Uh, but yeah, we, we played since you were last on, Danny. I think we played Manchester United. We lost at Leicester. Uh, we lost on a Saturday against Sheffield United. But um, first, I think a bit of an announcement. It would only be fair to let our listeners know um, that this will be one of my last Holt casts as a, as a host because I'll be joining the Birmingham Mail in the new year. And that's uh, really down to everyone who's been listening and uh, reading my writing over the years. So. I never thought it'd actually happen, but here I am. I'm going to be writing about Midlands football for the Birmingham Mail, the Stoke Sentinel, the Derby Telegraph, and uh, and all that. So, guys, it has been real. Um, but I believe the podcast will be continuing under Cole. Is am I correct? Yep, um, that that is correct. Uh, so, if you don't like Canadians, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> I'm here. Um, yeah, so me and Danny are still going to continue, uh, hoping that we're going to find a third person within the 7,500 to Holt ranks and we'll rotate some people in here or there and get some different voices on. And of course, uh, James is always welcome, but he'll be a guest um, when he comes on, but it'll be kind of cool at that point because we'll have someone that has a, I'm not saying Danny doesn't have a good job title, but James has some good credit here. I'm not discounting you, Danny. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not possible. Without, you know, you two and joining me almost every Sunday, Danny for the last two years, uh, Cole for this season. And I, I mean, you were on it last season as well, but, you know, everyone who's been on and helped out and, you know, done any, everything for the blog and helped me concentrate on my weird uh, writing that's kind of got me noticed, I guess. Uh, it, it's been a long, a long time of writing. It started with me at the job on at the job centre uh begging for my credit not to be cut because they found out I was writing for this blog instead of doing work experience at like Argos. So yeah, it's been a, a long and wild ride and I thought it best to let you all know because uh you know people have been listening to this blog in their thousands uh for a number of years and it means the world that we could start a podcast and it could be dumb and it could be funny, it could be wrong, it could be hypocritical, but you all kept listening. And uh yeah, so just to start off the podcast with a thanks, uh it's been real. And uh, there's no better people to hand it over to than Cole and Danny, who have been here for this wild ride of a season that continues. Because, guys, let's get into the football we lost at Sheffield United. Uh, Danny, we're going to need that hot take diagnosis. What went wrong for Villa at Sheffield United? Hot take diagnosis. Um, Okay. I mean, to put it it bluntly, I think this is the first time I've been seriously frustrated with Dean Smith. Um, It was very, very evident to me that we had no plan B as soon as we went down it was game over and it felt like game over 
uh, again, Sheffield United just uh, seemed to have way more players than us, although that wasn't the case. Uh, and I think what happened was we went to Sheffield United. They put the attacking emphasis on. We didn't put as much emphasis into um, in, in, into gre- into getting goals. And because of that, we were punished. And, you know, it was a really, really bad idea, really, because, you know, we, we've seen how strong Sheffield United have been this season. We've seen that they can punish teams if, if they don't um, treat them with enough respect. And I just think that, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, again, just... We, we, we played a one-dimensional way. Uh, we uh, didn't change it when it wasn't working and inevitably we were punished for it. And I think the cherry on top of the um, rotten cake, so to speak, was Jonathan Codger coming on and replacing Wesley instead of us you know, deciding to go for it and put two strikers up there. Um, why persist with something that doesn't work? Cole, I thought we looked kind of a bit solid defensively after how many games where we've conceded double digits of shots. I think this is the first time this season we've kept an opponent down to a single um, digit amount of shots. Not that it mattered because Villa were to lose 2-0 uh, on the daily afternoon, 3pm kickoff. Um, we still lost even though we uh, conceded the lowest amount of shots we have all season. So maybe there was some defensive structure but it didn't really work out for Villa, right? Yeah, before I get into my thoughts, can we put a quick poll up here? Was that the most boring half of football you've ever seen? The first half? <sighs> Pretty bad. Yes. Yeah, it was close. It was close to, to being bad, but I think Aston Villa had to learn some lessons from that Leicester defeat. They were far too wide open, and to contain Sheffield United for 45 minutes probably deserves some kind of praise. It wasn't an entertaining match of football, but if it continued that way, maybe we'd have snuck out with a point. I think Villa be- tried to become that expansive team in the second half. A caught between two identities, right? One where there has been a bit more pragmatic and failing to get on the ball. And the second the, the second half, they try and get on the ball more and they're just wasteful, completely wasteful with it. So being caught between these uh, two identities doesn't help, Carl. So what are your thoughts, uh, mate? When I look at this game in a whole, it literally, I it's a tale of two halves. And I've, like, we've been known Villa obviously this season for being great in the first half and absolutely rubbish in the second. And sometimes that's kind of swapped roles. And I've like, this is complete like meltdown in the second half. We went from defending like we never have before this season. Everything seemed calm, very tame, like literally nothing in the first half to what I see is Dean Smith thinking, okay, we're going to play a little bit more expansive or attempt to play more expansive here and kind of go at them because when you look at Sheffield United's side, they're going to pack the midfield. Um, and like, I think they're a good side, Sheffield United, but I don't think they're as good as where they are in the table. I think that lies a little bit, but it's because Wilder is playing to their strengths. Dean Smith isn't playing players to their strengths. I think it's been evidently found out that Grealish should be more as a central attacking midfielder, play your wingers where they are, because once he's kind of cut of the game, Wesley doesn't know what he's essentially doing, where he's supposed to go in that sense. Um, But no, kind of sticking more to the tactics, the thing that frustrated me solely was just the complete drop-off. It was as soon as we got smacked in the mouth with the first goal, it was over. We didn't know what to do. The substitutions were complete panics. I think uh, Danny said it best. When Kodjic came on, you think, okay, maybe we're taking off a winger here. We're going to play more of like a 4-4-2 or something like that. And no, you're making a a straight swap for swap. And it had no answers. I think Kodja walked more than he ran. And that's not more of a a hit or a, a diss to him. That's just the fact that there was no service to him and there's no support for him. And 
I think that's evident again that this I don't know if it's the formation, but these tactics, they're being found out. And it's not even by your typical top six. It's its by teams that realistically in any other season, Sheffield United would probably be in or around our spot. It's, it's just body language though, isn't it? It's like, you know, this is this is the same team. I don't care what anyone says, you know, about form or whatever. This is the same team we, we drew three all with um, last season out of sheer guts and sheer effort and, you know, just the sheer desire to win. And that's just something that seems to be lacking right now after, you know, what was a pretty decent start of the season. Um, you know, we, what the reason the reason why we were so good last season is because we went for the jugular against teams and we, you know, we didn't allow them space to breathe. Whereas now we're we're constantly the victim. You know, that's that's exactly how we're playing right now. We are playing like the victim, you know. Um, and, and I think if, if, we'd have, if we'd have just, you know, questioned Sheffield United a little bit more, you know, that would have been um, that would have been helpful. But what seems to happen is we we, we get the ball out wide. Um, it sticks to a winger. And uh, by the time anybody's up there um, to support Wesley or uh, to, to, to put numbers into the box, the, the opposition have basically... Uh, you know, loaded their defence enough. You know, in comparison, when you look at the goals that Sheffield United scored, they scored them because because they loaded guys up there. Everybody ran with it. Everybody um, went up there with the sole objective to score a goal. And right now, we're, we're just looking a little bit sort of um, idealist at the moment. I think the idea that scares me the most about this uh, run of form we've been in, and I know we're going to have some quote-unquote easy games coming up, Um I think what scares me is the fact that we could be looking at this start of the season, the good run we had where we were competing against Tottenham for a bit, where we were you know, fighting against Arsenal and when we were grabbing wins at Everton and Norwich, is that maybe we could start to look at that as some kind of overperformance at the start of the season. And what really scares me is the thought that those performances may have normalised and what we're seeing in the last run of games is Aston Villa playing as they should be. Which, which scares because Dean Smith has shown a reluctance to change this team. So we started off this season being quite optimistic and we shouldn't lose that optimism. But to think that we can just keep on keeping on and we won't get relegated, is gonna. that's the exact kind of thought process that's going to get us relegated because we are not an invincible team, Danny. Why, why do you think it is, though, that uh, when we're losing a game or when things aren't working, Dean sticks with the 4-3-3 and sticks playing sticks to playing exactly the same way we are i mean we're here in the post-match interviews i'm th- that, by the way i'm not having a go at him now i'm just i'm just frustrated and I ju- i'm just trying to i'm trying to figure out his thought process you know we, we're hearing after games now that you know um we perhaps shouldn't have sat back so much and you know we should have um we should have put more emphasis into in, in, into uh in, into getting a goal late on we should have worked a little bit harder but like you know what 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 makes him think that teams aren't going to scout us look at the way we play and know you know and not know um you know how they're going to counter that because we're, we're becoming so so predictable now like incredibly predictable to the point where wesley's just not even in the game anymore and i mean i, I don't I don't particularly blame him. I think it's just becoming more apparent as well that he doesn't even work in that system. Why? Why are we not playing somebody there who can um, who can press the defense like you know, like, like like Dean's asking him to? I think there's just a lot of little problems here, which I just think you know, yeah, it's a good base formation, yeah, it's a good base strategy, but it's not going to work against everybody, um, and you're going to get found out for it. I, I don't I don't know what his process is at the moment. I think I'll, I'll come to Cole after this, but. 
what another thought that scares me is that there's a clear gap between the intentions of this team and the tactical intentions of this team and the way it's set up in a 4-3-3 where every player has to be on it, the quality in this team. So there's, there's a gap between the intentions and the reality. And there seems to be quite a gulf at the moment because a lot of people wanted Villa to come out and attack. We saw that in the second half. We saw them come out and attack in the second half. And yes, it was a game state thing. We were two goals behind, so we had to attack. There was no other choice. But if you're looking at this game as a whole, and Villa, if Villa didn't kind of close up shop in that first half and they came out in the first half like they started the second half, we'd have been hammered, Cole. Yeah, I think the thing that's key here, guys, is that, and I think it's fair to mention, um, whatever style whatever is on the pitch is the embodiment of the manager and this is what we're seeing with dean smith it's i'm starting to question if he knows any other way and i'm not saying he's stupid the stubbornness thing i think has become clear that he believes in his in his philosophy and that's fair enough you stick to your guns but this is the premier league this isn't the championship this isn't league one or this isn't league two you have to at some point you have to become adaptable learn different things or it just doesn't go well for you. And that's what we're seeing right now. Like if you look, if you look at a formation standpoint, guys, and sorry if I'm getting a little off topic here, where do we switch from here? Do we go with three center backs? We play wing backs. Do we play more of a four, four, two and give Wesley some support and make things more simple? Like, where do we go from here? It's, it's scary because I've used that every time I've spoken this episode, I've used that, that phrase scary, but have you seen, any kind of inkling that Dean will change from this philosophy. And it's not just a Dean thing. This is how Aston Villa Football Club want to set up. Dean is just not, he's not re- totally responsible for kind of the playing style of this team. As dumb as it sounds, it does come from above. It's how the owners want to play football as well. It's everyone has agreed on a certain way of playing football and what Aston Villa are all about. So it does kind of, it does seem at, at odds with the project to become that better footballing team was because this is how they've set up to do a certain job and to go out a certain way. So to change that and bring free at the back and play a certain way, it could be at odds because you look at the expansive teams that's, that have come up and I, I saw this in a Twitter thread earlier. I think it was from Alex Berwick. And he said, look at the expansive teams that's, that have come up over the seasons and you've got Fulham and Norwich, right? And yeah, Wolves are, are one as well, but they had a certain kind of pragmatism about the way they play, um, such as Burnley. Burnley are a perfect example. Like, there's teams that come up like Brighton, and they they get that that little foundation, that little platform by pragmatic football. And sometimes it can be pretty. Most of the time for teams like Burnley, it isn't always pretty. But look, you know, Fulham had that badge of honour last season of playing pretty and uh, trying to play pretty, and it didn't turn out well at all, Danny. Well, if you're going to settle on a system and you don't want to change the way you play, then you have to work on the basis that it works. And evidently, it doesn't always work. Uh, is like I I don't even know if we can bust out that system, you know, enough times throughout the season that we get enough points. Like, uh, you you can't you can't manage a football team like that. You you cannot you absolutely cannot you know have one way of thinking and not pragmatize as you say. You you you've you've got to find a way to look at the way teams play and uh you know it's it's just it's just one of those things. I mean we. We have done well typically against teams who play a high line, right? Um, but you know, a lot of it is to do with work, and I, th- I don't know if it's the work rate which has which has dropped down a little bit. But we're de- we're definitely not pressing as high up on the pitch as we were earlier in the season, and our defensive line is far deeper than it was as well. 
So, I mean, you change certain elements of it, but you don't change the structure. I mean, I, I don't... There's definitely differences in the way we play each game and, you know, differences in the way we approach each game, but there's certain things which don't change. And that is that we play three in midfield and we play with the one striker and we play four at the back. Those seem to be certainties, but, you know, I think our attitude has changed game to game. Cole, a bit of positivity. Courtney Huss came in for the injured Tyrone Mings and it didn't really look like Villa missed a beat. He said, you know, Courtney Hall seemed to win most of the things that came at him in the air. He seemed a confident passer. So, you know, it's a positive that Villa haven't really missed a step without Ming's goal. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a testament somewhat to the transfer policy as well that, uh, especially within the centre-back pairings, that we have brought some players in here that no matter who comes in, we have confidence in. And I can't remember the last time Villa really had that. Uh, didn't really seem to miss a beat. Um, had no worries. I, I'll give him my early man of the match, to be honest, because he really impressed me. And I think there was a lot of question marks over him when he came from Wolves, thinking, is he able to cut it at the Premier League level? Is he even championship standard? Like, where is he going with his career? And I think um, even though it's just one performance, I think yesterday especially, I think that's testament to who he is as a player and uh, a player that can ultimately develop a little bit further. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't think we'd actually see him be be playing much football but it looks like he'll take a slot uh, in the defense in the absence of Tyrone Mings um, unfortunately it doesn't look like we'll be seeing much of uh, James Chester at all but it's good to see that this defense can kind of still hold its own without Tyrone Mings and I mean hold its own is a bit of a compliment after how kind of awful we seem defensively the, the chances we give up but no it doesn't look like we're missing much of a beat without Tyrone so it's good to see that there's not a total collapse at the back uh, Danny Jack Grealish missed a penalty against uh, Sheffield United. And look, that's at 2-0. And a goal in that game. Villa are playing more expansively. A goal through this penalty. It's a gifted golden chance to score. And Grealish misses it. Um, personal opinion here. I think he did the right thing. You have to put your foot through the ball sometimes. Bit too much power on that. And uh, not the right accuracy. He should have been going probably going for the corner at the goalkeeper's reach. But he slams it off the crossbar. And it comes to nothing, Danny. Uh, yeah, I mean, he slices it all wrong in all fairness. Um, I know, I, I know what you mean. He has to put his foot through it, but you know, in all honesty, you shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be in that position in the first place. You know, that, I think that's, that's where I'm at with it. That's why I'm kind of, you know, I don't care so much about the penalty. You get a penalty, um, either it goes in or it doesn't, it doesn't always go in. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, it was almost like it was it was perfectly placed in a way, <laughs> almost. It was just that it was just ever so slightly too high. Um, but yeah, I think, again, this is just another one of those things where it's like, why are we waiting until we're 2-0 down before we start becoming the team on the uh, on the ascendancy? Why why can't we be putting that kind of pressure on teams from the start? Maybe at that, maybe if we do that, then teams won't feel so confident at the ball and so confident to just run at us. You know, I heard so many comments about how we were so good defensively in the first half. Um, for me... If you're playing against a if you're playing against a team like Sheffield United, if you're playing against the mid table side, um, you know your, your defense should almost become somewhat of an afterthought by the end of the game, if you know what I mean. Okay, yeah, I know. I, 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 I don't. I don't mean to say that it's not important, but I don't think you know. Uh, I don't think complimenting the defense does anything for a side if 
we, we've had nothing going forward. And I think the reality was we just weren't troubling them whatsoever. If you're Chris Wilder, you're having an absolute laugh um, on the side because you know you, all, all Sheffield United need to do it um, need to do is just keep doing what they're doing. Um, but yeah, by the time that penalty comes, I just think it's it's game over, and it, it doesn't feel like it didn't feel in the same way as that. As, as as that comeback we made like last year, I mean, did you did you did you think we we, we could have been able to do it by that point? Like, yeah, what whilst you were watching anyway, did you did you think there was any chance of a comeback? So I don't know if this is the same for you, Cole, but when I saw the penalty, um, just as Grealish was stepping up to take it, I thought we we coming if we score this, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that we come back. But we miss yeah, it. I, to be honest, the first thing I did when the penalty was officially given, I went on uh, the betting app and looked at the odds to honestly miss because the way the game was going, I had no faith at that point. But no, it was it was one of those things where I looked at it and I'm thinking, if Grealish scores this, this is the perfect player that you want to score this because this is a, a motivational, I guess, kind of almost outreach and a cry for help if you want to look at it for that way to get back into this game and. I think you have to look at it as simple as this. If anyone's going to miss it and it's going to be Grealish, you know the game is especially not going your way, James. I will say this, though, Danny. It's a VAR thing that went our way. And look, Sheffield United fans moaned about it. They sung against VAR. This was like a 15-second delay to give Villa a penalty when a handball had denied him a clear goal because Anwar Al-Ghazi would have got his head on that and he would have forced Dean Henderson into making some save to keep that out. So without the handball, Villa are likely to score. It gives them a penalty. VAR going our way for what, for once, it seems. Yeah, no, but it was pretty clear, wasn't it? I think as well, you know, at that point, you've you've almost got the luxury to give away a penalty, haven't you? I mean, it's not it's not it's not it's not good defending at all from uh, from Sheffield United, and uh, I think as you say, you know, it was, it was it was good that VAR went our way for once. Um, I just wish we, <laughs> I just wish we made the most of it. Yeah, of course we we didn't make the most of it. I think that's a flat truth. We did make the most of the game. It was an opportunity to kind of not lose against Sheffield United and uh, to go into this streak of games now. Um, that seem like must wins. Um, that starts with Southampton, which we'll be shortly previewing. But first, guys, um, it's a difficult task, really difficult task. I need to take a match ball from you both for Aston Villa versus Sheffield United, a crushing two 0 loss. Um, but Aston Villa offered next to nothing. So, uh, dig out a number and choose your player, Cole. Uh, I'm just gonna say Courtney Haas. Uh, great debut. I I honestly can't put really any fault on him. I didn't think he really did anything that led to any of those goals uh, there's a lot of instances where they crowded our box them being Sheffield United um, and he didn't really put a foot wrong cleared it right out for a throw-in or something like that and to be honest I've seen it even, I'm not giving it kind of a, a diss or something to Mings but I've seen even him put a foot wrong in that so it's great to see someone come in and you know what uh, kind of exceed expectations oh, Danny it's hard because you're going to choose someone that I'm going to choose that's going to put me at a disadvantage here I don't really want to double up, but uh, I'm going to give you the chance to choose a match ball first. Um, I don't know if you are going to choose who I'm going to choose because this is honestly just a very, very difficult one for me. Um, yeah, God, I, 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 I don't, I don't quite know where to go. I was going to go with Courtney Horse as well, actually, uh, but, uh, but I don't. Uh, but I know that you know Cole, Cole has chosen him. So in which case, I'll probably go with. I'll probably go with Nakamba. That, I mean, that's who I, I was thought, going to choose. 
Was it? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay, <laughs> I mean, we can both we can both analyze this one though, right? Yeah. But like from from my side, what I, what I saw was a guy that was out wasn't picked for a couple of games. He's jumped back in and he's sweeping up so much in that midfield. Uh, you know, he does his job well. He does his job well, regardless of what you say about, uh, you know, how further forward Villa should have been or uh, whether Grealish or El Ghazi should have been creating more. Same with John McGinn. Um, I think Nakamba does his job, you know, very well. And I think, you know, we, we had plenty of opportunity to, to, to go on. But, you know, there was an absolute onslaught from that Sheffield United midfield. And I thought that he kept us in the game um, to some degree. So my choice is Nakamba as well. And like... I don't want to overstate his importance because there's definite criticisms of him, um, kind of how lax he can be on the ball sometimes, um, some of the thought that goes into his passing. Um, but for the energy, the intelligence, the amount of pitch that he covers, the kind of defensive shield he provides, and I know he seems to be a bit more of a further forward player for Villa uh, in this current stage of the season. But my God, I would want two Nakambas in this team right now just two Nakambas in defensive midfield to just let everyone else do their thing. And I think. He's going to become quite an important player for Aston Villa this season. I know his form is a bit lax at the moment, um, but we saw how good he can be. And if he returns to those uh, those performance levels of uh, maybe was it October time he came in, when he came in and uh, showed us all the player he could be, he's going to be an important player for Aston Villa, especially if we're rooted to the bottom of this table. Uh, maybe he can be do one better than Adrissa Ganna, back in the day and uh, keep us up this season. I've got absolutely no doubt in uh, Aston Villa's ability. But relegation, it seems like a realistic conversation to be having at this very point, um, whether it's realistic or not. Aston Villa going to match against Southampton that we'll be previewing a bit later on. That is going to be a must-win if Aston Villa are to inspire themselves to carry on the fight. First up, though, is a Carabao Cup quarterfinal tie at Villa Park against Liverpool. Now, guys, this one's weird because Liverpool have split themselves into two teams. The senior side with Jurgen Klopp is going to Qatar Doha to play in the FIFA Club World Cup after earning a place there after winning the Champions League last season. That means they've left kind of a B team, a a youthful team, a reserve team at home with the reserve manager to take on Villa at Villa Park in the quarterfinal. Cole, this is a -a one-of-a-kind match, and I have no idea how to preview I'm not sure what team Liverpool will be putting out, but certainly Salah, uh, Sadio Mane, uh, Firmino, uh, even Adrian, uh, the, the the backup goalkeeper, won't be at Villa Park. So what are your expectations going into this? I think this is the perfect example of men against boys. <laughs> I don't know how to feel or what to expect about this game. It's a really weird one because any other time you'd think okay this is going to be a really really tough game against an excellent Liverpool side and we saw that earlier in the season what heartbreak happened there but this time we're playing arguably and it could just be I wouldn't say the bottom of the barrel because the bottom of the barrel at Liverpool is actually pretty decent (laughs) and uh, but you're you're probably going to be playing some uh, kids here some of these kids are probably still in school (laughs) so it's going to be tough for that perspective and if I'm looking at it from Villa's perspective especially uh, you're going to see a heavy rotation I think that's obvious but it would be nice and I think to put it out there right now and I know it's not going to happen um, just probably just in spite of me saying it but I'd like to see us come at this with a different approach Um, my only fear here and I tweeted this out uh, literally maybe like an hour ago is that if we're going to play in the same style, and I think everyone has this basically chalked up as a Villa win just because of Liverpool's situation, I think my concern here is 
that is this just going to reinforce Dean Smith's philosophy with this formation, with that kind of style of play? And say if we romp away with like a 4-0 win or something like that, do we just roll into Southampton with the same mentality that, oh, this is going to work again? Because again, just like we said in the the review for the Sheffield United game, I think we've been found out with this this formation and this style of play. So... It's it's a tough team. I think the only two names I really recognise uh, in this uh, this uh, Liverpool side will be Harvey Elliott, who moved from Fulham to Liverpool this year, and uh, Aston Villa transfer target Rian Brewster. So, Danny, this is a heavily rotated um, Liverpool side, but I don't think we should take it for granted. It's an automatic victory because. This Liverpool team are emboldened with the strength of a narrative that sees them playing two games. Liverpool FC, senior Liverpool FC, playing two professional football games in the space of like two days in two professional competitions. There's a lot of narrative strength going into this one. It's a match Liverpool. Liverpool have nothing to lose in this. And these things happen in cup games because the averages of the league go out the season. The normal rules of the league don't apply and that there's form involved. This is a cup game where anything can happen and that is just emboldened in this one, Dana. Uh, I think, yeah, look, I think, you know, you're right. Look, this is a, this is one of those games where we cannot take lightly because at the end of the day, if we decide to play the way we have done recently and sort of like stay deep and allow them to come at us, like these are kids who are ready and able to make a name for themselves, you know, in a quarterfinal of a League Cup. You know, this is this is big for them. This is massive for them. And, you know, that, that cannot be understated because, you know, we, you see teams in the, um, you know, you see non-league teams in these kinds of games giving trouble to Premier League teams. Um, and, you know, we, we say that they haven't got the talent to really challenge sides like us. And... I think personally for me, yeah, this, we have to we have to come out here with the intent to destroy them. Honestly, that has to be that you know that that has to be what's going through our heads. I think as well, like for me personally, I don't know about you, but I think on a on a sportsman like level, on a sportsmanship uh, level, anyway. Sorry, um, I I think we should throw out a couple of young players as well. Personally, I don't think this is a game we should be you know, giving all our senior lads. I think John McGinn needs a rest. I think Grealish probably needs a rest as well. I know um, it's, 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 it's one of those things, one of those unwritten things where, where Grealish has to play. But like, you know, I think got to take them both out the team. You know, maybe uh, let Trezeguet in that side again, let him keep up his confidence. He's been scoring goals when he has been playing. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe you play Codger and Wesley up top together. I think that might be the, that might be, an option for Dean Smith in the sense that if the two of them go in there and grab goals, they might just start feeling a little bit more confident in, in Premier League games. Um, I'd also sort of like to see, um, yeah, I'd also like to see Keenan Davis f- feature in some way. I don't think you can have them all start, obviously, but yeah, we need we need some of the young players to come out in that game too. Cole, it looks like there will be a lot of rotation for Aston Villa, namely for the reasons Danny's mentioned. Players are tired. McGinn will need a rest. Grealish in Myers definitely needs a rest. Um, there's probably there's probably even room for players like Tom Heaton who you could probably drop and bring in Oyen Nyland to play. So I don't expect to see a lot of first team players starting. However, there are question marks lingering over the striker position. It's likely that Villa will play the same formation as they have all season in every competition as they have done. Um, that means four three three, which means one striker, which means that there's a choice between basically Wesley 
or Jonathan Codger. Is there an argument for resting Wesley, who has, you know, chased the ball down each game, has held off two to three defenders each game, who has done a lot for the team in general physicality? Or are you starting Wesley to hope that he gets a goal to raise his confidence if there is a confidence issue? Honestly, James, it's tough. It's really tough because this is either something, say, if he begs a brace or even a goal, this is great for his confidence. But look at it the other way, too. If he has another game or he's left frustrated with limited opportunities, even against a very youthful Liverpool side, what does that say and what does that do to his confidence? Can you even think about putting him in against the Southampton game. So it's a tricky one. Uh, for me personally, I just leave him out. I think at this point, you have to kind of look at your other options, let them play this game out, and essentially see what they can offer because it's kind of getting to the point now where some goals have to go in from a striker and no matter who it is, someone has to step up to the plate. Um, and of course, that's only going to intensify, I think, if Wesley plays this game, especially because January is right around, around the window. And I think especially for him, I think the nerves, I wouldn't say would solely be coming from that transfer window because I'm sure he knows something could be happening and he could lose his spot for a while if another striker comes in. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, it's tricky. Danny, how do you feel about it? Yeah, as I say, look, this is this is a good opportunity. This is a good opportunity to get into a semifinal. This is uh something that could possibly save the morale anyway of the team i'm d- i don't think we're we're totally down in the doldrums uh, by the way i just think that if we can uh, take the confidence from a quarter final victory into our next few games you know that could be big for the team and look who knows what a goal for keenan davis or a goal for jonathan codger could do uh i just i want to see something different against liverpool if we go into that game playing the exact same side and get a, I don't know, 1-0 win or a 2-1 victory, then uh, it's not going to give me any more confidence in this team. What I want to know is when things are going badly or when things need to be changed, we have another option out there. Uh, I I do not want to see a 4-3-3 going into this game. This This is an opportunity for us in a competitive game to try something different. I think the only thing I wanted to bring up here, guys, and I want your thoughts on it, of course, would this be a game for our uh, youngsters at Vasilev? That's a lot of been a lot of people have been chatting about. Yes. Um, what do you think about him? Should he maybe get a chance at least on the bench? Where does this come from? This is because Indiana Vasilev, um, highly rated uh, USA uh, Youth International, has been scoring goals uh, quite freely for the Aston Villa youth team. And he looks to be from the people who actually watch the youth team, you know, Ash Priest at Birmingham Mail, the Villa under 23 account. There's a lot of good reviews about this player in the same vein as maybe Callum O'Hare, Jack Grealish got back in the day, Rashawn Hepburn, Murphy, Keenan Davis. He looks to be one of those players who could seriously make the step up. And of course, that's judging from him playing youth football. Now he's coming from the players, the, the people that watch Aston Villa's youth football. But this guy is appearing at international level for the USA. I know that's fairly easy to do at the USA youth level. There's plenty of who've come through the Aston Villa Academy in years who've done just that. But Vasilev seems to have a bit about him, and he's a goal-scoring threat in that league at least, which means this would be the type of competition, Danny, that you'd give him a bench spot in. Yeah, totally. I mean, is, is, he, not, um, is, is he not a sort of like number 10, sort of an attacking midfielder, sort of tricky left foot? I think it's something we can give a go to. I mean, I think we are lacking for attacking midfielders at the moment, aren't we? 
we we are lacking for another. I mean, we've got Henry Lansbury. You know, I could say he's he's probably similar to to him in that kind of respect. Um, but yeah, I think if we can get him in, you know, left footer as well. Um, I mean, in, in the sense that if we if if he sort of plays more out wide, maybe that could uh, do something as well. But yeah, look, I think what we need at the moment is some freshness. We need we need we need a couple of players in that team who want to work hard and you know will put everything on the line to you know to to get us to get us to wins. You know what what's what's been good for us. Uh, in the games that we have won is guys like John McGinn, guys like Jack Grealish drawing so many fouls because they're constantly on the ball and constantly wanting to drive us forward. If we can see some of that from, from a, from a hungry young player, combat that with what Liverpool are sending out. You know, we don't, we don't want, um, we, we, we don't want to send our team out with less hunger than them. We need to match their energy. And I think, part of, do you know what I mean? Put Villa in this game and you rotate. There's a lot of players who, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about their mentality, but it may be a match where players take it for granted that it's a cup game, they're getting everyone out. Whereas these Liverpool players, for many of them, it's going to be the game of their lives. That, that, that for me, is a bit scary. Cole? Yeah, it's tough. It's it's really tough because it's kind of that, I wouldn't say like a siege mentality, but this is something that they want to essentially prove that they can make that next step up. And um, although it might not be for Liverpool, it could be for another team in the future. This is, it's a big deal for these young players. They want to make a point. Um, And I guess maybe I don't want to be negative, but I think the question has to be asked for our squad. Who's going to be hungrier? Because I think, especially in situations like this, I'm a little bit more uneasy when we're the favorites, because I think as a Villa fan, you look at something and you know it's just never that easy. Um, And you know what? It could be. But at the same point, it's going to be a tougher one than I think most fans expect. So, guys, um, without any further ado, I need to take a prediction. Danny, can you go first for Liverpool versus Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal? Tomorrow night, actually. Okay. Yeah, it is tomorrow night. (laughs) I'm going to go with a... um... I'm going to go 4-2. I think they're going to trouble us, man. I think they're going to score some goals. It's definitely one of those games where you can imagine a couple of young Liverpool players shooting from distance just because why the heck not? Uh, and that they'll ride that wave of positivity. They'll get another goal, but I'm hoping, and this is maybe more hopeful than sense, but I'm hoping that you know we, we, we go out there and do what we're supposed to do against a youth team and outclass them in the end. I'm going to go with a... I'm just going to be confident. Why not at this point? I'm going to say 4-1. Um, I think we just need one of those results where it brings a little bit of the feel-good factor back, even though I'm sure it'll disappear right after because realism sets back in. But I'm going to stick with a 4-1 scoreline. Uh, I think cup games can be pretty tough. Um, it'll be rotated Aston Villa team against a team that might be fairly energized. Um, with that in mind, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Aston Villa victory. Um, but that's not it. One more match to preview today, and that is Southampton on the weekend. Again, at Villa Park. Again, a tough game. Again, seemingly a must-win. Cole, Southampton look like a big underperformer at the moment, who are kind of... It's one of those situations where it seems like the league table is lying a bit. They were rightfully hammered by Leicester City, but that shouldn't be the defining game of their season. Uh, The manager, I think I'm going to struggle to pronounce his name, to Ralph Hasenhutl. I think I got that pretty, pretty close... Yeah, it's pretty. It's, I know you've got to do that. We, you, you don't think that that's that pretty like, good. Sounds that's like you're coughing or uh, kind of 
messing around with the spit in your mouth. Oh, that's disgusting. Um, but at any rate, it seems like they're underperforming a little, little bit. Um, Cole, should uh, Aston Villa be wary of heading into this match? Uh, is it a must-win? Is it a game that Aston Villa should even expect to win by default, or is it going to be a struggle, Cole? This is probably the toughest game of our season so far, and I mean that in terms definitely of the standings, because... Yes, Southampton have lost their last two. Um, the Newcastle result, obviously speaking before the West Ham result on the weekend, the Newcastle one was unlucky. I think they were up 1-0 for a decent amount of that game and then just kind of collapsed near the end, if I'm thinking correctly, which did us a massive service and actually took us out of the relegation zone for the few hours we were in it. Um, and then you look at the West Ham game and it was pretty much a snore fest aside from the one goal. Um, from West Ham. So it, it's a tough one because you look at their danger men up front. Danny Ings is, was banging form basically. Um, and you know, if you give him the chance, he's going to put it away. I think he's, yeah, he's one of those guys that like, he's so underrated in my opinion, they got him virtually for nothing. Um, and I think if it were not for, I think a lot of injuries, he might be still a decent utility player at Liverpool. You never know. Um, you look at their midfield, Ward-Prowse, set pieces are his specialty. He's banged a few great ones in this season so far. Um, I think, obviously, like any team near the bottom, defense is their biggest issue and a little bit of continuity. Um, but you can kind of say those, barring our striker situation at the moment, we kind of have the same issues, um, just a lack of inconsistency. And I think a lot of people chalk these games up to kind of high-scoring uh, affairs where it could be like a, a 3-2, a 3-3, you never know. I think this is going to be a really tight one where it might take just that single goal, like a 1-0 to completely nick this. Um, it's going to be tight. I, I think it's as simple as that. How do you feel about it, Danny? The reason I'm worried about this game is because I've noticed a considerable drop of drop in energy over the last couple of games where we're not pressing as much and we're not, uh, as I say, we're not at the opponent's throats enough. And the the thing that worries me about Southampton is that they are very good at pressing. Harsten Hootl does get his team to work. He does get that work rate in. Yes, it hasn't totally come off for them so far this season. They've been in bad form. But as you say, Danny Ings has been a pretty consistent goal threat over the last few games. I think, uh, except for the last, I think until the West Ham game where they where they lost one nil, um, Ings had basically banged in five in consecutive games or something like that. And you know he's going to be a he's going to be a threat for him. But yeah, I think look if Southampton put in the work and they try to press us into oblivion, uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to deal with it. That's my only. Uh, worry. Um, mainly because, again, I feel like Southampton have been underperforming. There is a time when you have to normalise and the performances start coming in uh, or the belief fades and they uh, they fall away. But uh, no, I think it is going to be a struggle against Southampton. Uh, Danny Ings has seemingly been free scoring for Hassan Hoodle's team. Uh, it's, again, I do feel like Villa can't just walk into this one by default and think they're going to big man it and win the match again, by default, just because he's at home. I think there needs to be a lot of effort and a lot of lessons learned from the past two defeats against Sheffield United and Leicester City. So again, it's going to be a struggle, but I think um, it's time to round off the podcast and uh, take predictions from you both. Um, Cole, if you wouldn't mind going first. Uh, this is tough. I'm going to say 1-0 Villa. It's going to be a tough one. Very tight, like I said before. Um, I'll even say a goal scorer. I think it's going to be Trezeguet again. Um, if he plays, 
I think he has a place in this team. I think when you're playing Southampton, especially you want to play with a little bit more pace because they're not the quick, especially when they're defending. And I think they can be caught out there. So I'd have to go with a one nil Trezeguet being the goal scorer. Uh, I have to be the podcast pessimist. I did just give us a four two victory over the Liverpool youth squad. But uh, I'm going to go one nil Southampton. Uh, I've I've seen nothing so far from the first team, or I haven't seen anything for a while that suggests to me that things are going to change uh, and that we're going to play with any sort of real positivity. I think Southampton they know they need to get a point, and they've they've shown in their performances as of late that um, they are trying harder to to get out of there. I do think they are a team with a high work rate, and I think if they do uh, come to Villa Park and, and grab the first goal. Um, I'm not sure whether we'll be able to come back from it. I'm going to go 1-0 Southampton. Um, so quick mention at the end of the podcast for Aston Villa women, who quite unexpectedly top the FA Women's Championship. So that's the second English division of women's football. They top that. And not only that, they've been playing some impressive football. They've been free scoring. And not only that, they're unbeaten, Danny. Yeah, I I, just, I I wanted to just kind of uh, make sure we mentioned them at the end of the uh, at the end of the podcast. They they are like just above Sheffield United women, who have also been fantastic so far this season. But it's just crazy to see that uh, we we've hit this kind of form. You know, three one win over London City on the weekend, scoring so many goals as you say, James. That's eleven goals in the last three games. Um, I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quietly confident for promotion. Let's see if that one. Uh, let's see if that uh, is. Um, what we get at the end of the season. So on that note, no better way to end the podcast than a nice, optimistic uh, little tidbit for the end of the season. I hope Aston Villa can keep it going. Aston Villa women can keep it going throughout the season and get promoted to the big time because they uh, the efforts there deserve it after Gemma Davis has led that team. Quite a hard season last season. This season's been even better with players like Emma Follis and Melissa Johnson seemingly scoring at will um but yeah you can find cole at talk aston villa you can find me at jamie russian find danny at riser journo find us all together at 7500 to hold and hopefully we're back here recording on sunday after aston villa progress in the cup by beating liverpool and hopefully by picking up three points as well against southampton at home so keep it real up the villa and we'll see you soon goodbye <laughs>